Amen. 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 With the horns now. Amen. With the rhythm now. Hey. Amen. Why is it worth your time each week to gather here and listen to someone teach from the Bible? Okay, that's the question I want to answer for you. Um, because, you know, after all, the Bible uh, doesn't have a super positive uh, rap with a lot of us. Um, many have said that the Bible is irrelevant to, uh, to modern life or contradictory to good science or good sense or good history that it's culturally narrow, that it can be and has been a contributing factor to oppression or patriarchy or racism. And those are all valid questions that deserve your wrestling with. Um, you do not need to check your intellect and history at the door when you come to read the Bible. And I hope that you will find in RUF a place to wrestle with those questions. Uh, and I would, I would love to help wrestle with that question. Tonight, since it's the first night of the semester, at a more practical level, whether you're a person of faith or not, understanding the Bible probably doesn't feel like it's that important to you. Like, you can do your life pretty much the same way you've been doing it without understanding the Bible, whether you're a Christian person or not. And I just wanted to acknowledge that together. That, that for a lot of us, maybe we would like to be more interested in the Bible, but it just doesn't feel that important to us. But here's one reason why I think it's really worth your time to come here and do something like listen to the Bible. Um, the Bible claims to be the very word of God. Okay? That's the claim it makes about itself. Not words about God or true things about God or whatever, but the way that you, when you speak or when I'm speaking, I'm actually using breath to push words out. The Bible says that it is breathed out by God. Okay? And we should explore that because... Usually what we have going on in ourselves as we make decisions or think about our lives or think about what's going on with us or think about our history or whatever, we tend to think about what we think about ourselves, how we feel about ourselves. We tend to think about what other people may think about us or how they feel about us. We are left to our best guesses, opinions, and limited perspectives in life. Okay? And I think that's why most of us feel like we don't really know where to turn when we really have a hard question. Or we really don't know what to do with our lives. We feel like we're just kind of making it up as we go. And if the God who made everything, the God who spoke all things into existence and made you and I in his image, if he were to share his perspective with us, then, and that was really true, then it would be nothing short of revolutionary for our lives. And even more personally, if this book that we're going to read tonight is God's word, that means that God is making himself available to you. That he not only exists, but he is not silent. Uh, as I was walking across campus on the first day of class, I do this very adult experiment, which is try to make eye contact with the people that are walking the other direction. And... Um, I got all the way across campus without a single person returning my eye contact. I like, you know, it's creepy. I'm older. I get that. 
Um, but like the person's walking the other way and you try to look and try to give like a, like a reassuring smile and either the person just looks straight head, they look down, like they got an important text, they look to the side. Um, and that's like a basic defense mechanism that we all use to indicate that we're not interested in engaging further because we have other things going on, right? And that's no big deal. That's totally fine. But what we have in the Bible is God actually returning that eye contact and giving a very loud and clear indication that he does intend to engage with us. And you may think that that sounds like the, just a ton of BS, but I think it's worth your consideration if God wants you to know him and to know yourself. Okay? So we're going to read from the book of Ephesians. It's in your handout. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. It's in the New Testament, which is like the back third of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, and then Ephesians. Um, you got all that right, I'm sure. Um, and uh, this, this, the book of Ephesians is a letter written by a man named Paul who had violently persecuted the, the baby Christian church, the brand new Christian church, had killed Christians, imprisoned Christians, and he had this life-changing encounter with Jesus and then started churches, okay? And he's writing this letter to a church in Ephesus, which is a big city, that he had helped, uh, the church there he had helped start. And this is what Paul says. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, this is the word of the living God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, and that's all Christians, not just like the really good ones, right? And are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. And about one line into that, you were like, I have no idea what's going on. And the reason why is because in the original language, this was one sentence that doesn't even have grammar. Okay, We tried to break it up into some sentences to put it in English, but it's an overwhelming just just word vomit okay, from Paul. So I'm going to pray and uh, hopefully God can help us sort it out a little bit. Uh, our, our God and our Father, um, our great God who is three and one, Father, Son, and Spirit, uh, a diversity and a unity in one being. Um, Lord, we uh, come to you tonight from a lot of different perspectives and we just simply ask that you would speak to us, that you would turn your face toward us that wherever we are, that we would have um, a glimpse of you because you're beautiful from your word. I pray in Jesus' name.
Amen. All right, so for the past eight years, there has been a glorious plan in the works. Uh, it's, a, it's a mysterious plan, and a plan so full of wonder and majesty that one could scarcely imagine in our uh, finite minds how good it could be. And it has been a plan over eight years to take my family to the most magical place on earth, which is Walt Disney World, okay? Um, This plan was inaugurated by the birth of my oldest child. Her name is Georgia. She just turned eight years old, which Blake Poppin, you're probably feeling old right now because now Georgia's eight years old. You've been here a minute, okay? Um, When she was born, uh, this plan was inaugurated. The author of this plan is my mother, okay? who had both an extremely challenging childhood, to say the least, uh, in poverty, and, uh, and raised, uh, she was a single mom who raised a, an only child and worked all the time. Um, and uh, because of that, she has a beautiful dream of making her three granddaughters' lives lovely and beautiful and full of magic, okay? This plan will become a reality, it will be actualized 16 days from today, okay? When we leave February 1st to go to the Walt Disney World. Needless to say that this plan to go to Disney has been an animating force in my children's lives who are eight, six, and four for a number of years. For one of my children, for her entire life, she has, she has lived under this awareness that one day this Disney trip is going to happen. So especially lately, whenever one of my children will ask me, is Elena of Avalor a Disney character? Or is Princess Tiana a Disney character? Or is Moana a Disney character? And I say, yeah, she is. They literally go, yes. <laughs> yes. Because that means they're going to meet the Elena of Avalor, Princess Tiana, or Moana. Now, my children basically have no idea how we're getting there how much it costs, what the logistics are, what the parks even really look like. They think it's called Epcot, you know. Um, (laughs) They have a small knowledge of what awaits, and yet it is filling them with excitement and wonder to a point of being overwhelmed, okay? Now, I know much, much, much more than they do about the logistics, the costs, the potential challenges of taking an eight, six, and four-year-old to Walt Disney World, okay? But I am also caught up in unspeakable excitement for this Disney trip. And we're counting the days. Like I said, it's 16 days from today. Now, everyone here tonight and everyone on this campus has a unique story, has a unique faith experience or lack thereof, has a unique background, has doubts, hopes, gifts, fears, and all the rest. But if we're honest... Pretty much all of us in the room, no matter how committed we feel that we might be to the Christian faith, pretty much thinks that faith in God is sort of an optional part of our lives. Okay? That believing in God and being a Christian or being a religious person is something you can do, but it's certainly not mandatory. It's definitely not the thing that is going to drive your life. There are a thousand things in my day, um, during the course of my day, that are more motivating to me than faith in God. And we're going to study the the book of Ephesians this semester 
Because it is about this glorious, mysterious, wonderful plan that God has had for everything. And there's a message in it, and I would say an invitation for you in it, that is actually so grand and wonderful and glorious that it could actually become the thing that is greater and grander and more beautiful and more motivating than anything that you've ever experienced. And it's actually something that could actually make you excited and get you excited. And there's three quick things that I want to point out about this plan from this passage. And the first is this. It's an eternal plan from God. Now, when my mom started planning this trip to Disney, uh, it was before two of my three children were even born or even thought of. Definitely before they were planned. Um, And long before my oldest daughter had any clue of what Disney was. It was before she had done anything, good, bad, otherwise, before we even knew if she would be cute, which initially she wasn't as cute as she is now, okay? Um, The plan was for these girls before they even existed. And it's the same way with God's plan. Now, look at at verse 4. He says, you know, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with all these blessings, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And then in verse 5, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Now, this might be your first time coming to RUF, or might be your first time doing a Christian thing at all, and you're like, I did not show up to get like a deep theological treatise on the doctrines of like election or predestination or I really wasn't necessarily interested in dealing with this question of whether people choose God or God chooses them and what are all the implications of that because they seem like they're all bad okay and I'm actually totally comfortable with whatever your perspective is on on any of that or if you've never even thought about it and right even right now you're like I don't know what you're talking about But Paul starts this letter to these people in this glorious, beautiful, run-on sentence about this amazing plan that God has starting right here and saying, before anything existed, before the foundation of the world, he says, God chose his people. He chose the people. He said, I am setting my blessing on these people that don't even exist yet. Now, a couple things about that. First, the the, the created order that we live in is, is one of time, where things happen consecutively one after the other. That's part of the creation that God made. God does not view history that way. From God's perspective, history is a painting. It's all accomplished, right? It's something, and he's the artist. It's something that he has set into place. And that's good because you often feel out of control. And I do. I feel completely powerless. I'm like, where's this thing even going? Uh, even if I wanted to do something about the fact that there are just vast miles of plastic floating in the ocean. I feel powerless to do that. It feels out of my control to stop anything like that. God is in control. He's the one that can actually plan a history. Okay? The second reason why that is good, and you should be excited about that, the fact that God um, set all this up from the beginning, is because God is always the one who initiates. God is always the one who initiates with his people and with people in general. And we'll get to that more of this later as we explore the book of Ephesians, so you have that to look forward to. Um, but if you know God here and you're tonight, you're a person of faith, you're a Christian person, doesn't that line up with your experience where you, you're like, 
I feel like my relationship with God was sort of given to me. Like I was like kind of, maybe I was born into it. And that was just kind of my context. Or like I felt drawn. Like I came to something and I started reading or started hearing or had this friend and I felt drawn. Like I felt sort of magnetically drawn to God. Or maybe there was just a day where we just go like this light came on. And I was just like, what? Um, there's so much humility here when we begin to realize that our relationship with God and our life with God is a gift from him and that he's the one that initiates that gift. It's not that you're more spiritually aware than the people that you know that aren't Christians, right? I hope you wouldn't say that. I'm just more spiritual than they are. It's not that you're wiser, like, oh, I'm just, you know, I could just put the pieces together and, you know. Some of the wisest, most spiritual people I know are not Christians, right? Um, it's also not that you're ignorant, right? It's not true. It's not, that you, it's not like you just choose to ignore the facts and walk blindly into faith, right? It's not that you're weaker than some, someone else, right? It's, there's a sense that God initiates something with us. And that's why you can pray for a friend who doesn't yet believe and actually trust that God can and will do something about it, Right? Because God is the one that acts in our lives. But here's what's thrilling about the fact that this plan is eternal. And that's that this plan was totally secured before you existed, before you did anything wrong or right. It predates and will outlast your doubts, your shame, your questions, your hesitation about God, your immaturity, and your pain. God was working this plan together before any of that existed, and it does not hinge on you and what you do and how well you think you're performing. And that's good news. And so the question is, what do you believe is able to keep you from God's plan? God has been working it together. It's eternal from eternity past to eternity future. It's eternally secured by God. And secondly, it's a plan that is more generous than we could possibly imagine. We can get excited about what God is doing because it is a generous and abundant plan. My mom started saving for this Disney trip eight years ago. And when I, when I grew up, I, again, like a, a, my mom um, was a teenage pregnancy. She lived in a trailer in middle Georgia. She worked a lot. She managed a barbecue restaurant. Multiple times she worked many jobs. She's an amazing woman. She'll be here tomorrow at noon if you want to hang out with her, um, by the way. <clears throat> but... Um, she, for the last eight years, has diligently put money aside each month for this trip, okay? And uh, she knows how to be disciplined and save, which I could really learn a lot from her. And this trip is coming at a tremendous cost to her. Because she wants to be able to shower my family with blessing. She has diligently worked and, and absorbed a great cost to herself because she wants to pour out a blessing on my children because she loves them. And God's plan is like that. If you look in verse 5, it says, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. God's plan isn't about getting followers. It isn't about getting religious disciples. It isn't about getting people that will get with his program. What God is doing in space and in time throughout history is gathering a family to himself. Daughters and sons because he loves us. Followers get a message Okay? They can get a vision. They can get something to be motivated by. But children get their parents' voice, their eyes, their time, their affection, and their protection. Right? Children run to their parent, and they're taken in their arms. 
They're different from the others. And that's the promise to us in God that when we come to Jesus, we aren't just saved or forgiven of our sins or we get to go to heaven, but we actually become God's children because He loves us. And you see down in verse 11, it says, In Him we have obtained an inheritance. Okay? And then in verse 7, he's talking about um, the riches of His grace, which He's lavished upon us. Right? We have an inheritance in God meaning that everything that is God the Father, he will give to us. And that's actually why the passage says that we're adopted as sons. Okay, Um, Women and men together image God in our unique beauty. Okay, There is not something that is more like God in men than there is in women. Okay, It takes women and men together as humanity to image God rightly. And Paul is writing here to a church full of women and men, but men are not primary in God's kingdom. I know your experience may be that men felt primary in your church. Okay? And there's a lot of repenting that can be done. Men are not primary in the kingdom, but the reason why we, all of us, women and men, are called sons in this passage is because in the culture that this was written, when a father died, the son got everything from the father, especially the firstborn son. They receive the inheritance from their father. And what Paul is saying is that in Jesus, each of us, women and men, are beneficiaries of God's riches. That he wants to lavish everything that he has on us. Nothing will be held back from any of God's children. So we all get to say, we're sons. We're firstborn sons. And God is not going to hold anything back from us. Um, you remember that scene, right, don't you? When Mufasa... Um, took young Simba up on a high place and he sat him next to him, the, 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 the big old lion and the young lion. Oh, my the computer died? Yes. Oh, sorry about that. And, um, thanks, man. And, uh, and he sits him down and he looks at him and what does he say? He says, everything the light touches, you guys have seen Lion King, right? Everything the light touches is our kingdom, right? Right? That's what it says, right? Everything the light touches is our kingdom. God says that to you. God intends to lavish his children with the riches of his grace. And the reason why he can do that is in verse 7. He says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Uh, You know, my mom set aside a lot of money and she sacrificed. But in the Lord Jesus, we have God himself becoming a human being and going to the cross to take our, the darkness that is within us on himself so that he could secure this blessing for us that we could be in God's family. It cost Jesus everything to give us everything. So the question is, what do you believe God is withholding from you? Whether you, That may be the reason why you're like, I'm not going to do this thing because there's this thing I've always wanted and God won't give it to me. And what God is saying is he's giving you everything Because Jesus suffered the loss of everything, his safety, his own life, so that he could give it to you. And again, we'll unpack later more what that looks like. God is not withholding anything from us. He's generous to us. And last, this isn't a plan that's just your personal thing to give you some inner peace, which I know you want that. I want that too. But it's a plan to bring all things together, to unite everything. And the world feels like a a big old mystery, right? Uh, You might be like, why did I even come here? I'm one weekend, and I'm like, man, it's cold here. Um, <clears throat> the world feels like a mystery. The question, what is the meaning of life, is the enduring question of every generation. 
Why am I here? What is my purpose? What is it all for? What is the meaning of all this? And the Bible actually affirms that feeling. The Bible says, yeah, yeah, yeah. When we look around, it's like, why? Like, why are we even here? It feels like a mystery. Does any of it matter? But what Paul is saying in this passage is that that mystery has actually been revealed. And it's way more magical than riding Space Mountain, you know, hanging out with Tiana or Mulan, right? He says in verse 9 that God has been making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth. The plan for the fullness of time is to unite everything together in Jesus. Unity. A kingdom that is actually united and a kingdom that is actually magic, right? That's what God is doing. He's bringing all things together, things on heaven and earth, women, men, girls, boys, all of creation together in unity. And the time that this letter was written, Ephesus was part of the Roman Empire, and one of the promises of the Roman Empire was to take a diverse, hostile groups of people and make them one people, right? That whole e pluribus unum thing that we have on our currency came from Rome. They said that they, people that were hostile could live together there in peace, but Rome couldn't do it. And we live in an empire currently that also believes that out of the many, we can become one. That hostile people can live together, right? But 243 years into the American experiment... I'm not sure that we're feeling much more unified or any less hostile than we were at the very beginning. Right? And what's particularly tragic is even the church and the Bible are often wielded as weapons of oppression and disunity and strife. You probably don't think of the church as being like, that's the place where I go and actually there's real unity there. Right? Dr. King famously called 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings the most segregated hour in America. Right? But the reason why Dr. King said that that was appalling was because of what the Apostle Paul is writing in this passage, that God's plan and the plan that Dr. King believed in and the reason why he called us to be sisters and brothers together is because he believed that God's plan was to unite women and men, boys and girls throughout all cultures and time into one people living in peace and joy because of Jesus, a kingdom with a single King, I was, uh, I was, this struck me when I saw Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Highly recommend. 10 out of 10. I know you're like, it's an animated Spider-Man movie. And I'm like, just, 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 just go with it, okay? And part of what's cool, really cool about this movie is it's all these spider people from different universes coming together in one story, right? And what happens over and over again in the movie is that each of those spider people tells their story. They're like, I'm Peter Parker. I was bitten by a radioactive spider. Or, I'm Miles Morales. I was bitten by a radioactive spider. Or, I'm Gwen, Stw- uh, Gwen Stacy. I was bitten by a radioactive spider. Even the one that's like, a, it's a pig. And he's like, I'm a pig. I was bitten by a radioactive spider. All right, and becomes a spider, spider ham. Okay? They're all different people from different experiences and have different, uh, they're di- they have different experiences and they're all deeply different, but they're all Spider-Man. They all have the same story, and that's what God is doing in us. Because the dude that wrote this book murdered Christians. He was what we might call like a, like a Jewish supremacist of his day, right? He didn't think it was just enough 
that there should just be one religion, but he actually persecuted and oppressed those that he thought were heretics, particularly Christians. But he had a life-changing encounter with Jesus, and Jesus asked him, why are you persecuting me? Not why are you persecuting my people, why are you persecuting me? Because in Jesus, his people are in him united as one. And what happened to Paul in that moment when he had that encounter with Jesus is he didn't just renounce his ways. He made it his life's passion to start churches all over the world, the known world at the time, where people that were formerly hostile, Jewish people and Gentile people, women and men, slave and free, and that's what Ephesians is all about, live together in one. People who hated each other for generations immemorable came together as one and learned how to live as one people in Jesus. This is God's purpose for the fullness of time. And that means that history is headed somewhere, and it's headed somewhere good and beautiful. And you can have hope, meaningful hope, if this is true. So, to bring this down for a landing, because I'm getting a little yelly, okay? If you're a person who is deeply concerned about justice and unity, which I hope you are, do you have a vision that connects changing the world with the things that are happening inside you and in your relationships, okay? Um, do, do you have a vision that's capable of transforming not just the world out there, but the world in here and the world in here? And if you're a person of faith, do you have a vision that is bigger than just your desires and your inner life and figuring out how to pray, but is actually capable of propelling you into meaningful work in the world for the good of your neighbor and the good of the world. Is your story that big? Is there something in this plan worth getting excited about? Worth making a friend here? Worth opening the Bible and asking God to help you understand it? Worth trying to pray? Worth finding a church? Worth coming back here to, to hear more? Um, just the other day, my, my middle daughter, Bonnie, she's six and amazing. She, for the first time, was introduced to a little film that we like to call Toy Story 3. Okay? And uh, the most magical of all sto- uh, Toy Story films. Uh, and she discovered a little girl in this movie whose name was Bonnie. Okay? She was like, whoa, wait a second. <laughs> The backstory here is that when my wife was pregnant with my first child, we went to see Toy Story 3 in the drive-in because we're old, and, uh, and we, 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 were encou- we encountered Bonnie, this amazing, beautiful character, and we said, we would love to name a child Bonnie, but we already have a name for this child that's in the belly, so we'll hold off to the next one, Lord willing, there is a next one, and we named our child Bonnie, and um, as the movie unfolded, I watched her watch it, which is what you do when you have kids, you like watch your kid watch a movie. As the movie unfolded, she became acquainted with this lovely Bonnie, this amazing, beautiful person full of imagination. And she, it dawned on her that in some way, she was connected to this amazing world of like Woody and Buzz Lightyear, that she had the same name. And, that, and there's some way that she was reflected in that, and it made her excited. The more that we come to understand God's plan, it can do the same for us. Let's pray. Our Father, um, thank you that you just invite us in. That I think if, we're, if each of us is honest with ourselves, we would recognize that there's something in us, um, many things in us, that when we really take a look at it, it people should turn away. 
Uh, it doesn't make us less human or less valuable, but we just, we're just aware. And so, Lord, um, we thank you that you turned toward us, that in Jesus you paid the price that we could be with you, that that plan was something that you've always been working out, and it's to be generous to us, and it's to unite the world. And, Lord, I just pray that you would impress that on our hearts, that you would make us excited. Pray in Jesus' name. Everybody say Amen.